the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Welcome to the Frank Sontag Show. I'm Pastor Steve Wilburn with Core Church Los Angeles, and I'll be filling in today. Hey, I'd like to start the top of the hour with a scripture from the Word of God. Today we will consider the exhortation of the Apostle Paul as he likens us believers as soldiers. He said this in 2 Timothy 2.4, he said, No soldier in active service, entangles himself in the affairs of everyday life so that he may please the one who enlisted him as a soldier. Yes, we as Christians were called to be soldiers for Christ. In the Old Testament especially, we see God raising up mighty warriors to battle the enemies of God's people. Obviously, we can see this in the New Testament also, where we as believers are also fighting a battle. Yet our battle in our life now is a spiritual battle. We'll, we're told in Ephesians 6, 4, no soldier in active service entangles himself with those things of the affairs of everyday life so that he may do what? That we are battling against what? Against the spiritual battle of darkness, spiritual things in heavenly places. Well, with that said, today we will be talking with a man who has done both. He has served our country as a United States Navy SEAL, and he is serving our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, also in the spiritual battles that every soul is facing. I would like to welcome our guest to the show today, ex-Navy SEAL Chad Williams, and author of his book, Seal of God. Chad, welcome to our show today. All right. Hey. Hey, I'm so glad that you could make it. Hey, I got to ask you a question here. You know, could you just tell our audience right now, what does it even mean to be a Navy SEAL? So... To kind of paint the picture, what I was doing on the last deployment I was involved in, we're out in Iraq, and we're given the task of hunting down men that make suicide vests and those roadside bombs, IEDs. And while we're out there, we're working with this group called the ISOF, it's the Iraqi Special Operations Forces. And one of our goals with these guys is to simply teach them how to fight their own fights. And so the best way to do that is not only train them on base, but actually go outside the wire and fight side by side with them. Well, if you can imagine, uh, I would say a whole deployment going by pretty good because we've, you know, bagged and gagged some bad dudes. We're making the world a better place and coming up on what looked like just enough time on the calendar to do maybe one more operation. And we weren't really sure if the ISOP was ready for us to pass that baton off to them. So we decided for this final operation, why don't we try and make it a sort of graduation operation? We'll let them plan the whole thing from the, the ground up and we'll be there with them just in case things go bad. And so they're starting from scratch, hitting the streets, and they need some intel. And they wind up finding this source that tells them about this man that's an Iraqi policeman by day, but at night, back home, as it turns out, he's one of these bomb makers that we're looking for. And so the ISOF comes up with this whole plan, how they want to approach the house, get in, grab this guy, extract. It all checks out, looks pretty good. Uh, But they did have one complaint. They felt they got shot at more than us SEALs. And so they requested that we would take off our American-covered uniforms 
and put on their colored uniform so we would blend in, you know, with them. And so we're like, all right, it's fine. Take the souvenir home. Now I get an Iraqi Special Operation Force uniform to wear for this final operation. I'm standing up there in the Humvee in the turret behind the 50 caliber machine gun. And for those out there that might not know, uh, let's just say it's a weapon that could really reach out and touch somebody. So I got my night vision goggles on. Yeah, I think so. <laughs> yeah. Uh, just kind of going over this mental inventory and think about all the things I know about this night. I know where this guy lives, how we're going to get in, grab him, extract. But one unique thing about this night that made it different than every other night that I couldn't help but to think about was the fact that, like, this is it. This is the final night, which also means just a matter of days from now, I'll be back in my hometown, Huntington Beach, California, surfing in the ocean. Uh, but what none of us really knew about that night was that we were being set up the entire time to get thrown in the absolute worst circumstances we've been in on this entire deployment as we find ourselves getting set up on this ambush, and suddenly we're engaging in this gun battle for our lives. And it truly was the team's ability to shoot, move, and communicate and do what we do best as SEALs that led to the obvious conclusion that, you know, I'm on the airwaves alive before you uh, this, uh, this evening, but I think it's also worth remembering that it doesn't always work out that way. And I think we need to remember that our freedoms are not free. They're paid for in the currency of our soldiers' blood on the battlefield. That's our earthly freedoms, and we can never forget about the currency of the Savior's blood that was paid at the cross so that we could have eternal freedom. So that, that kind of is what we do in a nutshell in the Middle East in the SEAL teams. Well, this is Pastor Steve Wilburn with Core Church Los Angeles, and we're interviewing ex-Navy SEAL Chad Williams, author of his book, Seal of God. So let me ask you, Chad, what in the world made you want to be a Navy SEAL? Well, there's a saying that the greater the need, the greater the result. I I had this great need to get out of this position that I was in. It was a position of this realization that I was wasting my life. You know, all my peers are passing me by. I'm not even making it at the local community college. And so I just start brainstorming, how do I turn this all around? All I know is I want to do something big, something great, something significant. And so I'm sitting there in the school parking lot about to take finals, and that's when I just I came up with, I thought, the perfect plan. I know how to turn this whole ship around. I want to go become an Alaskan crab fisherman. <laughs> I'm thinking, <laughs> that'd be a sketch. You know, it's by far one of those dangerous jobs in the world. I almost settled on that when this other idea kind of came across the mind of joining the military but not just that, being a part of the most elite, going through that most difficult, grueling military training. And so I realized sitting in the school parking lot about to take these tests that this is what I'm going to do with my life. I'm going to be a Navy SEAL. And so I thought, well, if I'm going to be a frogman, my first order of business is this. I don't need to go to class anymore. So I started my truck up and took off out of that school parking lot. Oh, (laughs) my goodness. (laughs) It really was. uh, It was an all-in sort of commitment. And, you know, from the outside looking in, uh, by all indications and appearances, uh, that's, it's not a good look. I'm letting my dad know some bad news and good news as I presented it. I let him know the bad news, what's going on at school. I'm not passing any of my classes. Of course, he wants me to get around to what's the good news, and I'm snapping my finger saying, it's okay, Dad, I'm going to be a Navy SEAL. And so you can kind of put yourself in his shoes. Here he is looking at his son that hasn't demonstrated the discipline required to make it through the local community college, but now he's informing you that it's okay because I'm going to go be a Navy SEAL. And so, oh, yeah, I could just imagine I can imagine him thinking, yeah, right. And like, go bake a cake while you're doing that. Yeah. So he's trying to open my eyes to the reality that, you know, joining the military is not like anything I've ever done in the past. This isn't playing ball or skateboarding or going to a local community college. He says, if you join and maybe then you find out it's not for you, 
Uh, you can't just get out and say you're over it. If you join and maybe you quit SEAL training, he says, you're still going to be in the military, son, and you're probably going to pick up a job like chipping paint off some boat off the coast of Japan. Oh, my well, goodness. Truth <laughs> Reality <that>. check. <laughs> <laughs> and for whatever reason, it, it's those kinds of speeches right there. That That's the motivational one to me. I get fired up by that. So I know actions speak louder than words. I'm, I'm, I'm doing all the preparation I can, the running, swimming, pull-ups, push-ups. Days go by. He invites me to his room. Says, you really want to do this? Yeah, Dad, I want to do this. He goes, great. Well, I set up a workout for you with a Navy SEAL. Check out my computer screen. I'll never forget looking at the screen and just seeing this one-liner. It says, can Chad come out and play tomorrow? Oh, my goodness. By this. I'm thinking, Dad, who did you meet? I know you don't know any Navy SEALs. Who's this person talking to you on the Internet saying they want to play with me and you want to arrange this right now? And he's insisting, this guy's a SEAL. I'm like, all right, I guess I'll go meet up with the guy. Well, as it turns out, there's more of a conversation that took place on a phone call prior to that email that I didn't find out about until months later, but I'll give your listeners the backstory up front. So on the phone, he's telling them, hey, here's the deal. My son wants to be a Navy SEAL, but he has no idea what he's signing up for. He does not know what he's getting involved in. And so I'm wondering if you'd just be willing to do me a really big favor. If I paid you some money, would you be willing to meet up with my son? And what I'm asking you to do is I need you to just crush him. Just break him back down, like beat this desire of becoming a SEAL out of him. And so he didn't get the answer right away, and it, it came in that email. That's what that email is. Can Chad come out and play tomorrow? So wow. off I go, Oceanside, California, meeting up with a, air quotes, Navy SEAL, as far as I'm concerned, you know, in a beach parking lot. This guy spots me right away, pointing his finger at me. You, Chad? Uh, yes, sir. All right, Bubba. I was Bubba from that point forward. Get on over here. He ends up sending me off on a run out into the wetlands, says he'll catch up with me 15 minutes in. Well, 15 minutes in, I don't see this guy. So as I'm running and looking over my shoulder, still not seeing him, I start getting this idea in my head. Like, hey, maybe, maybe I'm too fast for this Navy SEAL. He's going to catch up on the run. <laughs> so I'm celebrating in my mind. And I look over my shoulder again, and I'll tell you what, it, it was like a scene right out of Terminator 2, Arnold Schwarzenegger, <laughs> and the bad guy that can, like, morph into knife hands and chase down a moving vehicle. This Navy SEAL is coming down this trail with knife hands for me. And there was nothing I could do to keep that distance. He closed the gap, catch right up to where I am, and I never saw it was coming next. As I'm greeted by his fist impaling my stomach, and I'm just going for a ride to the ground. Just <laughs> poop dirt up all around me. I've got the wind knocked out of me. And you got to put yourself in my shoes for a moment here. Here I am out in the middle of the wetlands with this guy that, for all I know, you know, he's just some child predator. You know, he's got me on the ground in the wetlands. I don't know, like, the backstory with this guy. And now he's jumping on top of me and just ragged on me. He has me on my shirt. I still remember that sound of just the threads of my shirt ripping as he's throwing me around, screaming in my face, feeling that spit just rain down, hit me in the, the cheek and the forehead. But then these words come through. He says, you want to be a Navy SEAL, you better stay three paces behind me. And there was something about that moment right there where I just realized this is it, and this is for real. It's not later on in SEAL training. It is right now. I knew this is the moment. If I quit right now, I will forever be a quitter. The way I respond here is going to affect the trajectory of the rest of my life. Wow. Well, this is Pastor Steve Wilburn with Core Church Los Angeles, and we are interviewing ex-Navy SEAL Chad Williams, author of the book Seal of God. So how did all this play out? Like, what happened? He's on top of me. He's saying these words, you know, you better stay three paces behind me. And I'm realizing, like, this is the moment that affects the trajectory the rest of my life. 
And so just reaffirming that attitude, just die before you quit, man. He gets up, he says it one more time, three paces, turns and takes off, and I'm just going after him. And this went on for miles. And I'll tell you what, looking back in hindsight, after having gone through SEAL training, which is by far the most difficult military training hands down, I can say I never went through a more difficult singular workout than this encounter with this Navy SEAL, Scott Helvinston. Uh, but we finally get to this point where he ends it. He's pacing back and forth. He looks like he wants to fight me. I'm this teenage skater punk kid. Like, I don't want to project to the Navy SEAL that I'm willing to fight him at all. I'm kind of looking down at the ground, having this self-dialogue. All right, Chad, no direct eye contact with this guy. Just, you know, use your peripherals. Don't set this guy off. And uh, he, he breaks this really awkward tension by pointing at me again that day and says, hey, if we would have gone another mile or two, would you have stayed with me? And that's when I told him. I just said, Scott, I'll die before I quit. Well, he just gets this big smile on his face. And he goes, great. You want to meet up again for another workout tomorrow? And I'm kind of thinking, are we going to talk about that flashback you had on the trail? You kind of snapped <laughs> on me back there. But then I thought, don't bring that up. You don't want to trigger that again. Uh, and so as it turns out, he got on the phone with my pops after that. I found out later. And he said, look, I know what you want me to do. I gave it more than a go. But I think your son might have what it takes to make it. I'd like to start working with him. So from that point forward, I began to meet up with this Navy SEAL. Scott Helvinston, and thankfully it was no longer a beatdown. It became more of a building up. I moved in li- on in life from just being Bubba. One day I became junior. You know, as he really took me under his wing, he's mentoring me, and uh, I just idolized this guy. He's an extraordinary Navy SEAL, holds all kinds of records, world champion, pinathlete, the fastest Navy SEAL in the SEAL training obstacle course. He's the youngest man to ever make it through SEAL training, completed it at 17 years old, and he was the only man at the time on this TV program called Man vs. Beast. Get this. He raced a chimpanzee through an obstacle course and pulled ahead of the monkey on monkey bars. Wow. I mean, you can't make this stuff up. Wow. Well, I, 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 you know, reading your book, Chad, uh, this man had a profound effect on your life. Why don't you tell us about that? He became like a second father to me. And so, I mean, he, he really demonstrated what it was to be a servant leader, esteeming the needs of others is greater than your own. He taught me how it's always the team first, then your buddy, then you. He was always putting himself, you know, last, so selfless. When he came out the front door in the neighborhood, all the neighborhood kids would flock to him because he truly took on that sort of like father figure, that role to all of these, these children. And so he, as he's got me ready, I sign up. I got a date. It's set. I'm going to ship off for boot camp. He takes an opportunity. He put it to go overseas one last time. His turnaround's quicker than mine. He's leaving before I leave. And so he's getting on the phone with me. He's telling me, all right, Junior, I'm about to go do this thing. He's telling me about how he's going to go off to Iraq. And he says, uh, I just want you to know something that I've never told anybody I've ever trained before. He says, I know you're going to make it through SEAL training. So to hear those words from my mentor, that meant the world to me. So he's reminding me the timeline. He's only going to be gone a couple months. That's about the same amount of time I'll do Navy boot camp. So he says, when I get back from Iraq, you'll be starting SEAL training. He says, I'm going to be there. We're going to see you make it through. And so I just got a handful of days before I go. He's off. Well, I'm up one day, television on in the background, and I see Scott on TV. And I'm thinking, what is Scott doing on TV? He didn't let me know he's going to be on TV. I'm looking at this smiling picture of him. And then I see in the lower part of the screen Scott's birthday, followed by a dash. This is March 31st, 2004. And before I could process what that meant, it switches from the smiling image of him to graphic video footage of a vehicle engulfed in flames in Fallujah, Iraq, which turned out to be the vehicle that he was in, along with three other Americans. As this group of insurgents had ambushed the vehicle, and they videotaped everything that they were doing. And now the media is playing these different scenes as these guys are getting ripped out of the vehicle, lifeless, angry Iraqi mob with sticks and rods beating and wailing away on their bodies. They find rope and wrap it around their legs and go dragging them through the streets of Fallujah. They strung them upside down, 
from the Euphrates River Bridge, set their bodies on fire. And then they look into the camera and they chant over and over, Fallujah is the graveyard of Americans. Fallujah is the graveyard of Americans. I think pretty needless to say, I'll never have the words to describe just what that moment and all the surrounding moments were like. It's one of those things that it certainly radically changes you as a human being big time. I experienced just every every spe- light of the spectrum, you know, in terms of just the emotions that you go through, that denial, that anger. And I kind of landed, landed on a sense of revenge. You know, I wanted to jump through that TV screen and get after those guys. And thankfully, those reasons would mature along the way. And I think there is a little bit of a lesson worth talking about here for all the listeners. It has to do with how we deal with adversity. If you're listening right now, you have faced adversity in life because you don't make it that far without facing it. Uh, But here's the thing that we have to come to grips with is that we're not done with it. There will be more. And so if we can't control the fact that we're going to face more adversity, it's just going to invade your life like a tsunami. What do you have control over? Well, you still control the way that you respond. You are the determiner of whether or not that adversity will be what we could call a wing or a weight. Will you allow it to be a weight that just sinks you, leaves you knocked down, never to get back up again? People see what he or she got hit with and they go, wow, they're never resurfacing from that one. Where do you find a wing in the moment somehow, which is just really a way to rise to the occasion? So in the SEAL teams, the first line of our SEAL creed, it says that we are forged by adversity. And so either adversity will be the thing that forges you, that shapes you, you know, or you'll fail by adversity. Well, what did you do, Chad? What did you do? I mean, you, you're watching this scene on TV. Here is really your hero. It's like a second father to you. What did you do with that? I found the wing, and that's what we all got to be looking for. You got to find that wing in that moment. It's case-by-case basis. When we lose somebody, I think one of the things that we all do is we go back to that last time we were with them. We go back to that last conversation we had because it's just that much more important. And so as I was reflecting on that conversation with Scott and going over it in my head, that's when I remembered he told me, Junior, I know you're going to make it through SEAL training. And so that, that became the wing. That began the forging process right there, that I wanted to do this, but I wanted to do it for so much more. So I wrote Scott's name on the inside of my hat in SEAL training on the inside of the bill so that every time I looked up, I glanced up, I'd see his name, and you would have to kill me before I ever quit on that guy's name right there. Well, this is Pastor Steve Wilburn with Core Church Los Angeles. We're interviewing ex-Navy SEAL uh, Chad Williams, uh, author of the book, Seal of God. It's like, so you found yourself here in just the last, uh, as we finish this segment here, we've got about another minute. Chad, going back to what you just said uh, a moment ago, you said there's probably many listeners right now that are facing uh, unreal uh, circumstances, adversities, hardships. There's people that are listening right now that feel broken and, and don't know how to get up. In this last minute, what would you say to that person? I would say trust in the Lord. He's the master sculptor, and sometimes we don't understand what he's up to. We are sort of the the clay that he's working with, and he's chipping away, and he's taking chunks. He's got that hammer and chisel in hand, and sometimes we're like, wow, Lord, that really hurts. But he knows what he is up to. He he has a way of shaping it. Uh, There's an anonymous quote. I think it, it nails it. It says that when God wants to drill a man and thrill a man and skill a man, when God wants to mold a man to play the noblest part, when he yearns with all his heart to create so great and bold a man that all the world should be amazed, watch his methods and watch his ways how he ruthlessly perfects whom he royally elects, how he hammers him and hurts him, and with mighty blows converts him into trial shapes of clay, which only God understands. One man's tortured heart is crying, and he lifts beseeching hands, how God bends, but he never breaks, when it's man's good that he undertakes, and how he uses whom he chooses, and with every purpose fuses him, by every act induces him, to try his splendor out. God knows what he is about. You might not know 
what God is up to in that moment, but you need to trust in the Lord and just know that He knows what He is about. He's shaping something. Wow. Well, this is Pastor Steve Wilburn with Cork Church Los Angeles. We're interviewing ex-Navy SEAL Chad Williams, author of the book Seal of God. We're going to be right back, so don't go anywhere. This is Pastor Steve Wilburn with Core Church Los Angeles, and we're right in the middle of an interview with ex-Navy SEAL Chad Williams, author of his book, Seal of God. Well, Chad, we kind of left off where here you are, you're getting ready to go into uh, Navy SEAL training your mentor, a Navy SEAL. Uh, You saw him on the news killed hanging from a bridge in Iraq. And how did that motivate you? to go in to that Navy SEAL training? I wanted to walk in his footsteps, and and a big part of me at the time, honestly, wanted some revenge. Thankfully, those reasons would mature along the way, but I had his name on the inside of my hat, making it through training, and you would have to kill me before I ever quit on Scott uh, and his name. And so SEAL training, just to kind of paint the picture of how difficult it is, and I think the numbers speak for themselves, I started with a class of 173 guys, and by graduation day, there's only 13 of that original class number still standing there. And I'll never forget that graduation day. I mean, finally making it, achieving the ultimate. I'm getting that trident, which is the insignia that says you've done it. Welcome to the Brotherhood. You you have to be absolutely, completely fulfilled. Like, here's my dream in life. I told my dad I was going to be a Navy SEAL. You have to be absolutely ecstatic and fully satisfied. Imagine the juxtapose of being an absolute loser at a junior college, sitting there in a parking lot, not passing any of your classes, and then here's that moment where it's like you've achieved. And I thought I'd be set for life. I really thought I could live off of that right. for the rest of my life. The crazy thing was that not only was this one of the happiest, most fulfilling moments of my life, but it probably didn't take more than 24 hours before I felt the wind to begin to come out of the sail, and everything felt like it was circling a drain from that point forward and, and going downhill. And I couldn't wrap my mind around why at the time. I mean, I just achieved the ultimate. And it was years later I heard this Christian philosopher say these words that I thought nailed it on the head. That's exactly what I experienced graduation day, and these are the words. He says, one of the loneliest moments a man will ever experience is when he's achieved that which he thought would deliver the ultimate, and in the end, it lets him down. What he's referring to right there is, again, something that everyone listening out there I think is familiar with, at least to some degree. We refer to it sometimes as the human condition, the human predicament, or sometimes we just call it, hey, the grass is always greener on the other side. Not quite satisfied where we're at, not quite fulfilled. Well, what do you want, man? I just want a little bit more. And so we buy into this belief, if I could just get to this achievement, this goal, maybe make this amount of money, or maybe what I'm missing in my life is a significant other. I need a relationship, or maybe we have to you know, get some kids running around the house to make us feel fulfilled. We keep moving the bar, buying into this belief, if I could just hit that target, I'll be satisfied. And so what happens is you come up with a goal. Everyone's done this. And that goal, that target that you have in your sights, it leads to good stuff. It leads to hunger. The hunger leads to the hard work, drive, discipline, blood, sweat, tears, whatever it takes to get there. And have you ever had your moment where you achieve and you eat that moment up and you are satisfied just like you thought you would be? But what happens? The satisfaction doesn't last like you thought it would. So what do you do? You don't panic here. You just step back for a moment. You put on your thinking cap. And after a little bit of introspect, a light bulb goes off. Oh, 
I know why this didn't give me lasting fulfillment. It's simple. I didn't go for something big enough. If I really want it to last, man, I need to raise the bar. I need to go that next rung of the ladder. So that's exactly what we do. And now we've yep. got that new goal in our crosshairs. We're thirsting after it. And you do all the hard things to get there. You drink that moment up, and this is the one. You are satisfied. But what happens? It's like a vicious cycle. You just get hungry and thirsty all over again, and seemingly there just is no end point. But there is an end point. And that is the whole point to that quote of one of the loneliest moments a man will ever experience. So when he's achieved that which he thought would deliver the ultimate, in the end it lets him down. Here's the question. What happens when you finally arrive at a place where you no longer, like all the previous times before, can say, well, I know what I'll do. I'll just go to the next rung of the ladder. Nope, you can't do that this time. Why not? You're at the last rung of the ladder. You can't say, well, I'll just gain a little bit more elevation, climb up the mountain a little bit higher. Nope, you can't do that this time. Why not? You're at the peak of the mountain. There's nothing left to climb. And yet, like all the previous times before, you're hungry and thirsty for more. But unlike all the previous times, there is no next available. That's where you get those words, one of the loneliest moments. And this is not what, a, what an empty feeling. I'm, I'm just I'm wondering how many people uh, that are listening on the radio right now, Chad, uh, have this just unbearable emptiness inside. I, I remember uh, in my life that that void inside that it felt like a, a black hole that this was that nothing could satisfy it. And yet I wouldn't tell anybody about it. I'm thinking I'm the only one that has it. And so that here you are, you climb this peak. I mean, it's like, like, let's go into the military, but let's go for the, the five star, go bigger, stay home. Can't get any bigger, go into being a Navy seal. You accomplish it. You become the Navy seal. And it's like, I mean, where do you go in the military after that? I mean, you're at the top of the food chain. Yeah, I thought, you know, maybe I'm, if I'm not being an imaginative enough, like maybe there is more out there. Uh, I just realized if this is so short-lived, whatever else I go for, like that's not really going to do it either. And to kind of paraphrase, like Jim Carrey, a guy that doesn't even know the Lord, but he's experienced a lot that the world has to offer. Uh, he says that I wish that everybody could be rich and famous and have everything they ever dreamed of so that they would know it is not the answer. And so we hate to hear stuff like that because it's like, what? That's, that sounds like such a downer. But this is a reality. We see it all the time when we turn on the television or you go on your phone, you look at the lives of people that have gained all their version of their whole world. The, the professional athletes, the rock stars, the movie stars. What do you see going on in their lives? They're destroying their own lives with drugs and alcohol. They're miserable. Imagine having a dream job like getting to go to parts unknown, like Anthony Bourdain, travel the world, eat food, see new cultures. The guy's secretly underneath it all so miserable, he's taking his own life. This is uh, Pastor Steve Wilburn with Core Church Los Angeles. We're interviewing ex-Navy SEAL Chad Williams, author of the book Seal of God. He's talking about the fact that there was nothing but emptiness after he fulfilled this life dream. And he was wondering, like, oh, my goodness, what does a person do? What happens when you get to the top of the mountain and you realize that the satisfaction is not there? You know what I was thinking of when you were talking about this, Chad, was I was thinking about Mick Jagger. He's been singing, you know, on the Rolling Stones. He's been singing for, for his whole life. <laughs> for 55 years, he's been singing, can't get no satisfaction. It's like, and that's what it seems like with so many people that, that reach their peak. They, they got to to the top of the hill they they sang the song they got the number one hit all of these things and then they're nothing left but themselves and then they have to medicate their problems 
with either drugs, alcohol, sex, all of these different things. What in the world did you do? I mean, here you are, a young man. You accomplished what, oh, I don't know, 90% of young men would love to do. Hey, would you like to be a Navy SEAL? Yes. But you accomplished it. What did you do with that emptiness? I felt like I was in a little bit of a dark place where I kind of had this exterior of, hey, I'm a Navy SEAL. I've, I'm, I'm wearing the armor. You know, I'm, I'm a rock star. I got this all figured out. When secretly underneath it all, I was miserable. And all I was looking forward to is maybe deploying and getting a little get back from my mentor overseas. But, you know, that's not a healthy fuel to live off of right there. Yeah. I think that the whole crux of the problem is explained best by Jesus. Because he says, what does it profit a man if he gains the whole world, but in the end loses his soul? And that was just it. I gained my version of the whole world and becoming a seal, but my soul at that time was not oriented correctly with the Creator. And the fact of the matter is this, for everyone listening, is if you don't have peace with your Creator, have no expectation to experience any kind of peace while you're here on earth. And so I didn't go on some spiritual quest at that moment. You know, like this is just kind of where I was at. I get put on a team, and I'm thinking, if anything, just look forward to maybe deploying and getting a little bit get back from my my mentor, uh, Scott. Wow, wow. Okay, so so here you are. You know, uh, you know, you you find yourself. So, what does a man do when he recognizes that uh, his life dream doesn't fulfill? What does a man do? And, and I, I could think of maybe uh, some listeners right now that uh, are in this place of emptiness. They're, they're going through life. Uh, maybe some are successful. Maybe some are not successful. I think one of the things that hurts uh, the people that have not gained success is they think if I had success, I would be happy. Uh, obviously, I'm not happy because I am not successful. I didn't uh, fulfill my dream. I didn't go do uh, what uh, what I would love to do. I didn't have a hit song. I don't have money. I didn't win the lottery. So therefore, of course, I'm miserable. But if I had those things, then I would be happy. But you kind of addressed that already. So I'm really interested to hear uh, what actually changed you and we're going to wait for the next segment on that because i want to hear the whole story but here in the next one minute what would you say to that person uh, that i just mentioned that person that says to themselves well you know maybe you weren't happy being a neighbor seal or maybe this other person anthony bourdain wasn't happy with this television show and everything but if i would have had that i would have been i'd be happy what would you say to that guy in the next 60 seconds yeah, it's, it's a delusion. I felt like I was happier not being a SEAL and looking forward to becoming a SEAL, because at least I had the delusion that would drove me forward of if I could just become a SEAL, then I'd be satisfied. And that's the sad thing, is that a lot of people never achieve that ultimate goal that they're going after, and so they wind up dying, never achieving it, but dying in this belief that, oh, had I ever gotten there, though, then I would have been satisfied. And so the truth of Jesus' words, what's it profit a man if he gains the whole world? but in the end loses his soul. Your soul is what really matters the most in this sense. We are on this search for fulfillment. Well, you will never be satisfied. Everything else will leave you hungry and thirsty for more. Jesus has water that he says, if you drink of it, you'll never thirst again. Well, we want to hear a lot more about that 
uh, Chad, when we come back. So keep that thought. I want to hear exactly what happened to you, and I know our listeners do too. This is Pastor Steve Wilburn with Core Church Los Angeles. We're interviewing ex-Navy SEAL Chad Williams, author of the book Seal of God, and we will be right back. Well, welcome back. This is Pastor Steve Wilburn with Core Church Los Angeles, and I'm interviewing ex-Navy SEAL Chad Williams, author of the book Seal of God. So, Chad, you know, we left off uh, just talking about the emptiness. You You met all your dreams. You had this emptiness. So what actually happened to you? How did you pull yourself out of that pit? Because that's a miserable hole to fall into. Uh, I would say I found myself agreeing to go to an event where a man by the name of Greg Laurie. <laughs> yeah, I know that name. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And uh, I had no real pure uh, motives or intentions of being there that night other than just to get the family off my back, punch my card in at one of these church things. And as I'm there, he starts to share this story of Naaman. It's out of Second Kings chapter 5. And if I can kind of paint that picture for everyone. Yes. Naaman is the Syrian commander. He has great success in battle entourage of men, highly respected. Even the king enjoys Naaman's company. So his identity is getting him into places where he's doing VIP meet and greets. He's rubbing shoulders with the king. He's this mighty man of valor. Guy sounds like he could have been a seal, had their bench as a thing during his time. Mighty man of valor, but a leper. And looking back, Jesus specifically said nobody during the time of Naaman had ever been healed of leprosy. So circle back and picture Naaman like this, if you would. So much for all of that success. So much for that outward man. It's all a persona. What's really going on underneath that armor, Naaman? What's really going on underneath that clothing? Well, what's really going on is he's deteriorating. He's falling apart. He is a dead man walking. Well, how quickly I relate with that man right there. And maybe many of the listeners can relate with that man as well. Because when you think about it, who are you on the outside? What kind of armor are you wearing? What kind of facade do you put out? in front of your coworkers, your family members and friends, when in reality, just as Naaman had some other issues going on underneath it all, we've got issues going on that we cover up. And so no doubt about it, Naaman probably tried everything he could do to fix himself. Remember, Jesus says, this is the impossible. But he hears about this prophet over in Israel. He's told that if you go see this prophet, he'll heal you of your leprosy. He makes the trip, 150-mile trip, enemy-occupied territory. He's bringing the equivalent of millions upon millions of dollars in gold, silver. He's prepared to pay this guy off, do whatever you got to do, just fix me. Well, he's there at the door. Guy doesn't even come to the door. Sends a servant. The servant relays a message. If you go dip yourself in the Jordan River seven times when you come up, your flesh will be restored to you. You will be clean. Naaman's response, fury. He was so angry. He turns. He begins to leave in a rage. And he's reasoning out loud, saying exactly what his expectations were, starting off with, he thought this guy was going to come out of this place. He thought he's going to wave his hand over the place, call him the name of the Lord his God, and just strike the leprosy away. Instead, he gets treated like some normal. And so as he's leaving in this rage, and if he continues off in that direction, he'll die. As he's leaving in this rage, if the listeners haven't caught it yet, what's Naaman's real problem here? Is it the leprosy, or is that just a symptom, a surfacy issue? The real issue is his pride. Yeah. And so he's leaving, he's taking off. Thankfully, he's surrounded by some men that care about him. And they're pleading with him to go back. Come on, Naaman, look, you know if this guy gave you, gave you some big, great thing to do, you would have done it. And, and so he decides, okay, I'm going to do this. And I think he really understands now. It's not the water that's going to fix you. It's the God of Israel. That if you humble yourself, if you make that 180 turn, 
you're turning not only physically, but intellectually, emotionally, most important, spiritually. In order for you to live, you must die to self. And so he's making that walk, in a sense, to his own funeral, humbling himself. As that armor's being peeled away, he's peeling away what needed to go all that time, the pride, the ego, and just believing that the God of Israel, if I'm faithful, he'll be faithful. And he will do the truly hard part, the heavy lifting. Dips himself seven times, comes up. In the Hebrew, it's he had brand new skin like that of a baby. Well, I remember being on the edge of my seat and relating with Naaman, and maybe many of the people right now can so relate with Naaman, but then here's his out. What's our out? Well, God has provided a way out for us. Just as Naaman dipped himself into that Jordan River, God dipped his son down into the world. That's Jesus. And this Jesus lived a holy, perfect, sinless life. That leprosy, if you haven't caught it yet, folks, is a picture of sin. We, spiritually speaking, are lepers. We are spotted and blotted and blemished. But this Jesus, he was holy and pure. And just like Naaman couldn't do anything to get that leprosy off of himself, we can't do anything to get sin off of ourselves. Naaman had his leprosy, it was a disease that leads to death, and we have a disease, you could call it S-I-N, positive, and the wages of sin is death. But when Jesus went to the cross, he didn't go to the cross to be some example or a martyr. He went to the cross... It's explicitly declared in the Gospel of Matthew to save his people from their sin. This is what Jesus does for you and I. Here's a picture for you. He trades skin with you and I. He takes our leprosy, as it were, our sin upon himself, pays for our sin and full at the cross, so that we could be lavished of God's grace and his mercy, not only paying the penalty of our sin and full at the cross, but he rises again from the dead. And there's no Christianity without that. Wow, listen, this is Pastor C. Wilburn with Core Church Los Angeles, and we're right in the middle of interviewing here ex-Navy SEAL Chad Williams, author of the book Seal of God, uh, on when and the very night that he gave his life to Christ and why he needed to give his life to Christ. Chad, that night, you went forward. You gave your life to Christ. I'm assuming it completely transformed your life because that's why you are the seal of God now. So what would you say to the person listening right now that needs, like they're that person, they're naming, they're, they've got a leprosy in their life, it's sin. Their life is messed up. They don't know where to turn right now. What would you say to that person? I would say it's time to do the naming thing to do. Uh, Jesus, he says, if anyone wants to come after me, they must deny self. What was the turning point? What was the first thing for Naaman? He needed to deny self, make that change of direction. And so it's a biblical term we don't use on the street. We need to repent, which means not just sorry I got caught. It's I'm so sorry I want to change. I'm so sorry I want to disassociate with this old man, this old woman that I am, that Jesus, as you were nailed to the cross, crucify the old me up there with you. And as you were buried, bury the old me. And as you rose again new from the grave, that's what we're asking God for. Would you give me that new life that only you can offer. It's repentance, it's faith and trust in Jesus, and you believe that he rose again from the dead. For those that repent and believe in him, trust in him, not my word on it, it's God's word on it. He says he'll remember your sin no more. Removed as far away as the east is from the west. So, so what that's you're, what I did. March so what you're saying then is you're saying that someone right now sitting in their car, driving down the freeway, sitting in traffic, it's Friday, it's traffic. It's like you're saying that a person could do the same exact thing that you did on that night, listening to this message. Your family dragged you to a church. You're listening to this message. You're saying that someone listening on the radio right now could pray the same prayer that you prayed and that life change could happen right now. 
hundred percent. Then why don't then why don't you, Chad, ex Navy SEAL, author of the book Seal of God, why don't you right now lead someone? Because I believe there's someone in their car right now saying, "Is there any hope for me? I'm broken. I'm messed up. Does God even love me? I think God hates me." Why don't you lead that person right now in a prayer? Okay. I said, Naaman left one thing behind in that water in Israel. He left his sin behind. And I don't know where you guys are at, where you're listening, but maybe there are some things you could leave behind in that car, leave behind in that building, wherever you're at, and go forward. And so just so you know, as we pray together, uh, I want you to go in this eyes wide open. This is a prayer of repentance of sin, declaring your faith and trust in Jesus, and believing he rose again from the dead. So if you're prepared to do that, please repeat these words from a sincere heart after me. Lord Jesus, I know I'm a sinner. But you died on the cross for me, and I turn from my sin now. I believe you rose again, and I ask you to be my Savior. Thank you for loving me and dying for me, and help me to follow you from this moment forward. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Wow, that is just awesome. Praise the Lord. Listen, if you just prayed that prayer with uh, ex-Navy SEAL Chad Williams, we'd love to be able to send you a Bible. You can actually uh, email me at... Uh, Bible at corechurchla.com. That's Bible at corechurchla.com because it's so important to actually get grounded in this new relationship with God by starting to read His Word. So we'd love to send you this Bible that will help you in this uh, walking relationship with God. It's not a religious relationship. It's a walking relationship. So, Chad, boy, it's so encouraging talking to you. Uh, How can people get your book, uh, Seal of God? Well, they can find it anywhere on Amazon, major bookstores. If they'd like to get a signed copy, uh, they can get that by going to my website. It's sealofchrist.com. Or they can find me on Instagram. It's the same as the title of the book. That's my handle, at Seal of God. And they can message me on there, and I'd love to get a signed copy uh, out there to folks. And so uh, just hit me up Instagram, Seal of God, and uh, we'll get a copy to them. Now, if someone wanted to, you know, look, this is a ministry for you. You go around. I've heard you speak at men's events and things like that. If somebody wanted to help support your ministry, because uh, I know personally that you have led literally thousands of people to Christ uh, through this incredible testimony that God has given you. Uh, how could people, uh, you know, help support your ministry? Uh, the best thing they could do is go talk to their pastor. Go talk to whatever that gatekeeper is and say, hey, we need to get this guy, you know, at our church or at this men's event or, you know, our midweek thing, whatever it is. And uh, that's really the best thing I think that anyone could do for me. Uh, that's better than any donate button. Just get me out there in front of the people and uh, I'll be a good faithful sled dog. I'll give them a good run while I'm there. That's right. Well, uh, I just want people to know that uh, we've had uh, Chad Williams uh, out to our church. He has spoken at Core Church Los Angeles. Uh, He has spoken uh, to many other churches that I know the pastors. uh, He has spoken before. And so you would not be disappointed in having him to come out to your church. Well, again, Chad, thank you so much uh, for coming out uh, here on the radio and and talking to our uh, radio listeners today. Uh, May the Lord God bless you. Uh, This again is Pastor Steve Wilburn, Core Church, Los Angeles. And this has been the Frank Sontag Show. I'm so glad that you've taken the time to...
today to listen uh, to our program. And we're so looking forward to uh, having you back with us and being part of this radio program. So may the Lord God bless you.